This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast, and here with me is my co-host, who I have not forgotten about for ten years, unlike one of these stories. You have not forgotten about me in ten years, so I've been in your mind. For ten years. So I've been in your oh, for ten years continuously. Wow. I was thinking exactly. at least it remembered me nine years and 11 months ago, but apparently it's more recent than that even. Like, I'm going to get a raise. I'm going to get twice nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been? I've been good. I've been good. Unlike Oracle. Uh-huh. Oracle, not good. Yes, indeed. Oracle have apparently lost the the war, quote-unquote, against Google with the lawsuit that I had honestly forgotten about. I mean, I, I suppose I vaguely knew that this was still happening, but the uh, the news came out just, uh, just recently that in, in the Supreme Court, uh, Google has been given the win against Oracle in their use of if I remember rightly, Java APIs in Android back in back when this started ten years ago or thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah, it's still called they... the Sun Java API. So this is before I mean when Sun was still the creator of Java. Yeah. Even though, you know, due to the glorious pace of the US uh, court system uh, Android actually hasn't used any of this since, uh, let's see, NuGuard version 7 in 2016. But because, you know, once a court case has started, you know, don't, let, uh, don't let the fact that time has moved on um, influence things at all and instead carry on battling it out with, I, I have no idea how, how much money has been spent on lawyers <laughs> at this point for this. I... I a 10-year running battle between Oracle and Google, I can only assume it's many, many millions of dollars, let alone like the the public's the you know, the public service, like the court's time on this must just be astronomical. Yeah, and the public's as well, because don't forget that uh, Oracle and Google haven't paid a cent of this money, because this is being billed as costs deducted from their revenue. And so they're yep. not paying uh, taxes because of money they spent on this kind of, uh, yeah, uh, uh, bovine, uh, what, you know what I mean? And basically, it's all on the poor taxpayer, ta- taxpayer's uh, shoulders. And the taxpayer is poor because we're paying for this kind of. Yeah, I can't say the word stuff. I'm thinking. Uh, stuff. stuff isn't good enough. But, uh, I mean, I, I didn't forget this one. I, I did forget that this was actually about Android, not Java specifically, because actually the mm. court case itself is talking about the stealing of Java pro- property from Oracle by Google to build the or Android around it. As you already mentioned, since Nougat, that's already been surpassed. But this is also just basically about patentability of APIs, because mm. this is not about code. Nobody ever said that Google stole programming code, cut, cut and pasted snippets from the code. Yeah. This is basically them building a their own version of the Java API, API so that it could actually interconnect in a similar fashion. And the potential of being able to patent a API was not only an issue here, 
but when um, Mono, for example, started their port of the .NET framework before Microsoft open sourced that one, this actually also came up. And that's where I actually I glommed onto this. And that's why it stayed in my memory, because I was a very early Mono adopter, because I liked yep. C Sharp a lot. I, in those days, uh, only ran Linux on my server. So I needed something to run Linux, and Mono did a good job. And the amount of times I had to look for a different repository that had up-to-date versions of the libraries because everybody said, don't do this because we're going to get sued because and so on. Because Mono did the same thing. It didn't copy any code. It was expressly forbidden to copy any code. If you ever had a look at the code of the .NET framework, you were not allowed to commit to the Mono project. <laughs> but they did use the same API because they wanted to use C Sharp as a language and that kind of made it uh, required, let's say. But yeah, yeah, 10 years to make something that is... Can I say common sense? And then you say? <laughs> well, common sense isn't very common, is it? And uh, I, I did, there is actually a number in this article, which is in the epic $9 billion yeah. lawsuit between Google and Oracle. I so, think yeah. that's what Oracle is suing Google for, right? They wanted $9 billion for the infringement. Ah, that's why I, I would read I it. I guess, I guess, yeah. But this from the Supreme Court, so at least in the US now this is done. So I'm uh, just counting the days before Oracle announces that they're going to do the same thing in Europe. <laughs> I mean, they've got all the homework done now, yeah. it should be easy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, I mean, 10 years, how long does it take a company like Oracle or Google to accept the fact that it isn't going to happen? How, 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 is this just hubris or? Do they really? Do they really think up until a week ago they were going to potentially win this? I, I mean, I often see these things happening where you've got you've got a big guy and you've got a little guy, and they are you know clearly the 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 yeah. big guy is just trying to steamroller the little guy, and so you know usually there's it's just a it's just posturing and it's just settlement, but like mm -hmm. this, these two giants in this space just I mean, not even duking it out just like paper cutting themselves over a decade long period just just seems like insanity and i i suppose even 10 years ago i mean oracle obviously initiated this it was oracle sort of um, you could say Google initiated it by copying the API. <laughs> sure. By, by, <laughs> but the lawsuit, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Oracle initiated the lawsuit. I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I I personally view Oracle as a, an organization you know, driven by a lot of hubris. So I think there's an yeah. element of, of, of what you mentioned behind it, but... I mean, once you once you've kicked something like this off, you can't just go, "Oh, sorry, got it wrong." Please. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, on the one hand, there's this thing that, especially in the US, I'm not sure if it's worldwide or not. If you have something and somebody infringes upon it, and you don't protect your trademark, patent, whatever, you risk of losing it because you didn't show the interest. Mm. So there might be a reason that Oracle, way in a decade ago, decided to start legislation, start uh, sorry, start um, uh, litigation to get this done. But this is the Supreme Court. You don't start there. You start in yeah. low-end courts and you have to go like, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, but I would imagine there's like four or five 
steps before you reach Supreme Court level. And as far as I've been able to uh, find, none of these underlying steps ever found for Oracle. They all said, yeah, fair use, yeah, no problem, all okay. So mm. you can do the first one, you lose that one. Okay, let's appeal. You lose again. <laughs> At some point, someone should have the the, 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 the the two brain cells that communicate with each other to say, <laughs> let's stop this because, I mean, I was going to say it's making us unpopular, but we're talking about Oracle, so that probably wasn't an issue anymore. No, that Sorry, people. I respect the people mind. working for Oracle. I have a lot of good connections with Oracle. No problem there, but the culture that Oracle projects, let's call it that, isn't really popular at all, I would say. Yeah. But it's over. Hooray, it's done. Uh, Android can now be rebuilt again on top of Java, which is a great step forward. And No, uh, no, no. We're, we're oh. just going back to, uh, we're, yeah, we're just going back to Nougat. Like, uh, we're, we're, all the, all, all Android phones are going to be reflashed to 2016's uh, Android for that uh, truly retro experience. And we're, we're going to continue an alternative future. And, uh, You're joking sure about this, but one of the articles I suggested that didn't uh, make the cut here, I'm going to mention anyway, is IBM actually releasing a brand new product for the cloud. COBOL. Mm -hmm. The way of the future. Oh dear. Well, <laughs> I love COBOL. Speaking... I'm looking forward to doing COBOL on microservices. That's going to be huge. <laughs> oh God. Well, speaking of cloud, it's a wonderful segue to... Uh, the apparently back by popular demand. I just, I do wonder how popular the demand was for this. But anyway, the Google Cloud Products in four words or less 2021 edition. And uh, for those of you following along uh, on YouTube, you can see we've got the, uh, the, the sheet itself up. It is thoroughly unreadable <laughs> at... Uh, at most normal sort of sizes, you will need to either put it up on a large monitor or start zooming and panning around. Uh, but it is it is every single Google Cloud service, I use that word somewhat carefully, um, explained in presumably relatively easy to understand English. Uh, and it's... I, th I suppose there's a couple of things about this. One, one is, I have to. I'm a sucker for visualization. I'm a sucker for like well-designed, well-presented content. And I have to say, like it's it looks good. Like I maybe have some questions about the way that it's exactly the materials delivered, but it's a very polished um, sort of thing to view. It's all very beautifully Google branded. Um, but from that point onwards, things start to go a little bit sideways, I think. Yeah. What do you think, Bill? You just mentioned uh, school services, uh, in air quotes. Uh, it's more Google terminology parlance, let's call it something like that. Um, might be useful because sometimes these things uh, don't make sense if you just read it. I mean, event arc. Just yeah. coincidentally putting there event-driven cloud run our service. Still doesn't mean a lot, but at least it gives me something to Google upon. Let's call it that. Yeah. 
Um, it's a bit of a bloated uh, list as well, because like BigQuery data transfer services here at Migration, we also have a lot of big data query things on the on another end with the, the data analytics. So they have kind of really split it out into details. Not a bad but thing I, I to think, say. I think that's intentional because mm-hmm. I think, and I this is just my, my guesswork, I, I could be absolutely wrong about this, but I think the way that they've split this out is... Essentially, this is everything that you could potentially see on your cloud provider bill. I think each one of these things is essentially a chargeable service. So, you know, you mentioned uh, Bigtable, for example. Like if you're using, uh, sorry, BigQuery. So if you're using BigQuery or if you're using BigQuery BI Engine, that would be two separate charges. Similarly, if you're using... What was the other? A BigQuery data transfer service. Again, that would be like a third charge that you would potentially be be levied against. So I think that is how they decided to split things out. Okay, then I have a huge problem with this list because in that case, this is uh, mm. intended for the accountant, the, the bill paying, the, the purchasing department. If you tell them BigQuery or you tell them a data warehouse for analytics, I think they're equally nonplussed. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's just joking. The, do the, the one thing I do don't like about this is the fact that they're doing recursive acronyms because BigQuery ML <laughs> is BigQuery Model Training Serving. Okay, and BigQuery yep. is Data Warehouse Analytics. So BigQuery ML is Data Warehouse Analytics Model Training Serving. And that at a certain point doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> that English not yeah. being it. <laughs> yeah, I, I do agree. Um, and like there's... There's definitely um, there's definitely some sort of weird things in this. So they, for example, um, the like under hybrid and multi cloud, there's Anthos Service Mesh, which is managed service mesh in brackets uh, Istio. Now, I I have a bit of a problem with the way that cloud providers often name their services, and I I know I. I do understand why they do it. I know why Google called their Istio variant Anthos. It's because they want to differentiate themselves from people just saying, well, you know, why would I run your service? I could just run Istio myself. But it it sort of, I, I do find it quite disingenuous when you're looking at, especially things like this. I don't know. You could say that... Istio is the project. Anthos is their deployment implementation of the project. Yeah, there's a difference. I, I know it's it's their brand of it. I I get it. I just don't like I, it. I'd be equally <laughs> miffed if they would call their stuff Istio if it's not because they changed. Yeah, no, that's fair. So it's an you can't win, you can't lose thing here. Yeah, yeah, it's fair. Um, I I one of the things I think is kind of interesting is like the bottom right hand side there's a thing with additional resources which is then it switches from this four words thing to just a lot of links <laughs> to different things different like, got like blogs <laughs> yeah like it's just i mean I think uh, that's kubernetes podcast i mean well kubernetes podcast but clearly nowhere near as popular as the warning elephant podcast but you know i'm sure of course so they still need to have publicity there. happening on this kind of stuff everybody knows us yeah. Exactly, or something. Um, but like, there's definitely some stuff that I had not heard of. Like, there's 
Dora, the <laughs> software and delivery research, apparently, which is cloud.google.com slash DevOps. I mean, I, I'd never even heard of uh, GCP Dora, but apparently... Well, it's yeah, very easy. You just go to Google and you search for mm-hmm. Dora. They should be able to find their own stuff, right? <laughs> Because well, you, you need you need to explore it first, yeah. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, so it, it's it's um, one thing for me is that it also gives you a bit of a indication of how important something is at Google, just by the mm-hmm. number of things they have for that. I mean, at the top here, there's AI and ML. Obviously, it's important for them. Networking is important for them. Uh, Google Workspace, important for them. Mm-hmm. Google Gaming. Oh, I thought they just launched this big Stadia thing that's going to rule the world for everyone. The, yeah, but that's a different type of service. You can't. Oh, you me. can't. You can't as a uh, as an end user. You can't go and spin up spin up your own savior, savior? your own uh, instance of Stadia. But you can go and you know, run your games on Google Cloud game servers. Which are actually, yes. actually agonies clusters. Apparently, so. I do kind of it, weird on your one yeah. head of things thing. That really, yeah, amazes me. I, I, well, I I think the part of this is so a Google IoT core is manage devices and ingest data, whereas I think the when we think of IoT, we think like most of these other services would be used in a okay. IoT. Or, IoT infrastructure or whatever, but it it did surprise me just how many services or uh, yeah, I guess billing points maybe um, GCP has. Uh, although I imagine that I, I did see an article that linked to this that said, "Oh, you know, it's nothing like the AWS one." Must admit, I didn't go and explore that. Maybe we'll save that for another episode, but. I can imagine if this is what gets cranked out for GCP, um, you're going to need a, a set of, you know, four 8K monitors, um, you know, an entire video wall to be able to view the AWS uh, equivalent of this. But uh, maybe mm. we'll, as I say, maybe we'll follow that up on a future episode. Yeah, it didn't really surprise me that much. I mean, I do have some Azure background, and even when Microsoft is still building up the whole Azure cloud, this kind of list was already quite early possible. So uh, no, not surprised at that. And yeah, AWS will definitely be bigger because they've been around longer, so they have more stuff uh, happening, let's say. Don't forget, Google Cloud is still the smallest of the five uh, big clouds out there. Mm. Um, so yeah, but uh, interesting read. I'm still kind of questioning the functionality slash usability of this list. But if everybody ever has a... Google GCP bill and is puzzled by an item on that bill, then here's Dave's handy way of figuring out what it might possibly be, or at least give you a way of Googling it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, it's it's a thing. It's a thing that I thought was interesting. It's, it's weird that it's a thing will... that exists that apparently has need. <laughs> yeah. It's a thing that you can pretty much guarantee I will never look at ever again. I don't know. When 2022 comes around and there's a new version of it, we'll probably have to fill a podcast again and <laughs> do much oh, behind the curtain here. 
Yeah, probably. Moving on. Please. And uh, we are moving on to pull one out for Apache Mesos, which um, probably most people haven't heard about it since we did our containers episode and our little view of the uh, the history of containers and virtualization and Kubernetes and all that kind of good stuff. We did mention Mesos a couple of times as we were running through that. And this is the official notification that Apache, Apache Mesos is moving to the Apache Software Foundation attic, which is the location that projects go to die, essentially, or go to, to retirement, pasture. maybe. Out to yeah, pasture. Yeah, out to pasture. Um, the, the, the sort of the PMC is dissolved. The, um, yeah, the, the GitHub um, is effectively locked at that point. You can go and fork it from there and go and start up your own further evolution of, of Mesos if you're, if you're feeling particularly daring. Um, but it, it's kind of, yeah, end of a, end of an era, a bit of a recognition that really, um, you know, Kubernetes has definitely won this space if you yes. were even under any doubt. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's just a lot. I, one of the things I would say is just how um, you know, no one's like positive about. Yes, thank God that thing's finally dead. But there's like a lot of people who um, you know just you know, give pl- give their plus one to the fact that it's time, but also uh, a kind of um, you know sad to see the project go and um, you know really enjoyed their time. Um, working on the project and working with people uh, that also um, contributed to the the project as well, and I think this is one of the things that I I really appreciate about uh, in a lot of cases the open source community, um, just about how everyone is still like you know they're sad to see it go, but they've really enjoyed their time working on these projects together, and you know I hope all those people who you know, maybe we're, we're still thinking that maybe this thing will continue. We'll go and find, you know, another fun project, another great community that they can um, go and engage with. Because, uh, you know, I, I definitely would not want to see anybody be so disappointed about this that they, they kind of never engage with open source from that point onwards. Yeah, and I think the the first comment here from Benjamin uh, epitomizes the, the the feeling for me. It's with a heavy heart. So yeah, we're sad to see mm. it go, but curiosity about what will come next, and that's basically nothing is set in stone. Things change, things evolve. Yep. Hindsight might have told you what you could have done better to not have uh, arrived in the situation, but in the end, yeah, popularity is very important for these things, and it seems that yep. for the microservices at least, a, a less heavy approach of having a full package deployment kind of thing but more of a uh, user commands more command line driven more flexible more agile if i can use that word approach that Kubes, uh, kubernetes used it kind of bore out to be more uh is palatable the right word here i'm not sure more acceptable to the people using yeah. or trying to start working with this uh, microservices thing and yeah, I mean, Mesos was poised to be the the king of the microservices country at, at some point. I mean, even before yeah. Kubernetes was a yeah. well-known word, Mesos was kind of mm-hmm. ruling the world at that point. But apparently it was kind of short-lived. 
because they, in my opinion, and this is again my opinion, totally my opinion, nothing but my opinion, but because they didn't have the modularity that Kubernetes offers. Uh, I remember from years back a project involving Mesos and we wanted to do something a little bit different with networking and the pluggability of Mesos was there. You could add new stuff to it, but it was very, very hard to make it actually work. And that kind of made people look at something more flexible, more agile. And that was what Kubernetes at the beginning, definitely, and still today, kind of rules at. Their operator uh, approach makes it very easy to expand, extend. It does cause mile-long YAML files. That's the, the disadvantage uh, of it. But mm -hmm. flexibility is, especially for new things, and yeah, Mesos also was around, uh, I guess it started also about a decade ago, things was very much in flux, and flexibility is very important there. And I don't know, was there, do you think there was any risk, any uh, panic or people being scared that Mesos is going to be commercial and close that door, and that's why they went to Kubernetes? I'm not I don't. I don't think so, because like um, you know, the organization that used to be called uh, Mesosphere was the commercial entity behind Apache Mesos. Um, they rebranded themselves probably a year and a half ago, maybe to D two IQ um, to kind of distance themselves from their Mesos heritage to you know put themselves more into the you know kubernetes space they were they as an organization they were really already all in on kubernetes it was as i understand it relatively little mesos left there but obviously mm. if your company name is mesosphere <laughs> it's difficult to uh to suggest that hey no we're all about kubernetes now when that thing called mesos still exists so they, as I say, they rebranded. I think it was about eighteen months ago, something along that kind of lines to to D two IQ. So I, I don't think that kind of factored into it. But this did lead me to, and down an interesting, um, interesting journey of of sort of um, other projects that uh, had also been retired into the attic. And actually, um, there were three that I think are, are a little bit noteworthy. So one, uh, sorry, four, I think, that are a little bit noteworthy. Um, so one is um, my favorite named um, project that's in the attic, which is Apache Wookie, which is a uh, Wookie was a Java server application that allowed you to upload and deploy W3C slash open social slash Google Wave, remember Google Wave, widgets to your applications. So... You know, sorry to hear that uh, that uh, that uh, yeah, Wookie Apache Wookie uh, never never made it uh, and uh, was retired. Wookie's retired to the attic, so that's also very very sad. Mm -hmm. um, my my least favorite uh, project that's in um, the Apache attic is Apache XML. I hate XML. I oh, loathe XML. No, it's awful. It's job um, security for an army of people. Uh, I mean, it's it's one of the um, one of the terrible jokes is uh, XML is like violence. Um, if it's not working, you're not using enough of it. So there you go. It's 
I distanciate myself from this. <laughs> it's it's just I, I loathe XML. I loathe, I, I spend too much time fiddling with XML. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, but would we have but, ever had Jason without XML? You uh, need to make something probably, bad before somebody wants to improve it. Yeah, and I I don't really like JSON either. But there you go. That's a that's a random. So what are they going to use then? <laughs> Uh, I know, I know. I just don't like any of those things, really. Anyway, so I don't want to don't want to spend too much time on on XML because already I can feel my feel my anger rising. But moving on to two that I I'm actually one I'm one I'm sad about, one I'm um, unsurprised about, but I've also thought was interesting is at the end of 2020, Apache Sentry moved to the attic. So Apache Ranger. Was its competitor from Hortonworks? Apache Sentry was Cloudera's offering uh, in the like fine-grained role-based access control mm -hmm. in the Apache Hadoop space. Um, obviously, Hortonworks and Cloudera went through their merger, and um, yeah, Sentry was was not anywhere near as advanced as uh, Ranger was um, in in my opinion back then. And you know it, that certainly seems to have played out that way. And yeah, Sentry has been consigned to, I guess, guard the attic, maybe. <laughs> nice one. I mean, you could say you think it wasn't uh, ready, but uh, I was at uh, Hortonworks when this whole war was going on. And if I had to yep. listen to the Cloudarians at those days, then Sentry was miles ahead of uh, Ranger and Atlas and everything so remotely like it. Um, I do think. To remember that Sentry was a little bit more closed off. I think the Apache advantage of uh, the early Apache advantage of Ranger and Atlas kind of gave them the push ahead because for these kind of projects, definitely for things like Atlas, I... you need you need a community. You can't push it from one thing. Things like governance and lineage and security, you need to go big. And Sentry kind of was too isolated. It was more. I always felt more as a we need something against that other thing and not something we're trying to do something cool. So I maybe you are maybe you are misremembering slightly. Oh, quite possibly. But but so uh, so sh I'm sure he's not listening, but shout out to Balaji, who was one of the original founders of the company that was acquired that originally built Ranger. Um, it used to be a closed source, um, you know, code base and a, and a small startup, uh, Balaji, um, who I had the opportunity to work with at the time, um, you know, came, was, was his company or him and his uh, co-founder's company was acquired by Hortonworks back then and Hortonworks then went through the process of open sourcing Ranger. So I, th I think... It's not. I, I don't necessarily disagree that it was the openness definitely helped accelerate Ranger later on, mm. but I think honestly Ranger was very very advanced mm. when it first landed into open source because of the hard work that Balaji and several others had put in and okay. um, put into it sort of early on, and it was it got to the point where once it had been open sourced, it was significantly ahead of of century you know there was a really usable gui web gui for it mm -hmm. you know it, it covered more components in the um the hadoop ecosystem 
and it just it only got better from there in again in my personal opinion and you're right from that point then you had people like IBM that were that were contributing to it you know it definitely did get more traction you saw um other people in the security space um you know getting involved as well and yeah definitely from that point onwards the community then grew but i think for me the the seed of that is that it actually came into open source already with a a decent amount of functionality and that's kind of built on the yeah. the hard work that happened pre-acquisition yeah i wasn't aware of that thank you for mm. educating me see that that's that's two things you've learned and for the the second thing you'll have to listen to our previous episode on yahoo answers I anyway got that one so did stick <laughs> so final um final apache attic project and this one does actually make me a little bit sad because i i spent uh, probably uh i don't know at least a year or 18 months or so uh in this in this ecosystem but uh, also 2020 uh, December 2020, Apache Metron moved into the attic and was retired. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it 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 doesn't really surprise me because uh, you know, I, for I, I obviously was at Hortonworks slash Cloudera. Um, I spent, as I say, at least 18 months, maybe two years, um, really focused around Apache Metron. Mm-hmm. It. To me, it was one of those things that was very much ahead of its time and had a bright future. But again, my personal opinion is like there was not enough investment in it. And, you know, that post-acquisition continued to be the case. Cybersecurity is a a particularly um, interesting area. I've always found it interesting. I continue to find it interesting. but you know, to be successful in that space, you need a certain amount of dedication. Yep. You need dedicated understanding. It's a bit like um, public sector or government in some cases. Like you need, there's a certain lexicon, there's a certain sort of set of things that people expect you to know and understand. Yep. And there's a, you know, so all of those things need to be in place for you to be effective. And sadly, I don't ever really think that Apache Metron got the level of investment that it really needed to break out of um, where it was. And I, I'm kind of, I'm sad to see that uh, it got retired into the attic, but it's probably better than it, you know, continuing to limp on underinvested and the, some of the frustration that I know it caused um, folks that were involved in that project. So, uh, yeah, I, I was, you know, I'm kind of glad that, uh, Mesos brought me to uh, the attic <laughs> once more to revisit. I think it's probably, I don't know, probably a hundred episodes ago we uh, we had a poke around the attic last time as we were talking about the Apache Foundation and governance. But um, yeah, it 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 also surprises me, relatively speaking, how few projects are in the Apache attic, which means there's still a lot of very active. Um, you know, very active projects out there. And the Apache Foundation, I have no idea how many projects are in the Apache Foundation today, but it's definitely in the thousands, I would guess, at least. And, uh, you know, for a relatively few number of those to have, uh, you know, been retired is, 
really uh, a success story for the Apache Foundation, the Apache way of of you know creating and maintaining and managing software. Yeah, and as we said earlier in this episode, I think uh, nothing stays the same. Things evolve, and sometimes things deservedly get uh, put out the pasture. Indeed, indeed. So, unless there's anything else from you, are we going to end on this sad note? It's it's a note of closure, just like the end of this episode. Okay, that's definitely all the time we have for today. <laughs> you can support the podcast, you can become a patron, every contribution helps. We are obviously on YouTube, you can like, subscribe, see Dave and me in our glorious presence. I'm not going to go any further than that. Um, you can also go to www.roaringelf.org, find a link to the Patreon page, YouTube page, and a lot more information about the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag, and you can send your feedback by plain old email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Send us anything you want us to talk about, questions you might have, any other cool attic projects we should talk about. Why not? Dave loves to reminisce. Until next time, my name is, I'm definitely going to put a Chewbacca sound somewhere in this episode. Jon? <laughs> and my name is, not quite ready to be put out to pasture yet, Dave. That's two yet. We look forward to talking to you next week. Goodbye. See you then.